have a pedo out of prison, a child run over and killed, human trafficking in the suburbs, and a child finds her way home after 20 years. I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. It is a little bit of a different show tonight. I had been researching another case this week, but instead of bringing it to you this week, I think I'll bring it to you in October. Now, why? Because I'll be going down to Melbourne to meet up with my great mates Tara and Barney, and we're going to do a True Crime Island third birthday show together. So a bit more of that at the end of the show. And on to tonight, and... First up, there's a tragic news story that happened on Friday morning here in Sydney at Hurstville. 12-year-old school kid Ryan Wang was walking to Sydney Technical High School at Hurstville when he was struck down by a car and killed at 8.40am. According to witnesses, Ryan was walking across the intersection of Lily Street and Forest Road just minutes from his school when a car ran a red light struck him and crashed into the fence of the nearby Hurstville Public School. Ryan was trapped under the car and despite bystanders running to help him, including luckily an off-duty nurse, there was nothing they could do to save the boy. Now, you might say, well, that's a sad story but not really true crime. Well, the driver of the car, 36-year-old Rabbi Abdul Rahman, not only allegedly ran a red light, but he was serving a suspended jail sentence for driving under the influence of drugs and assaulting police. Now, this is according to Emma Partridge, a senior, senior crime editor for Nine News Sydney. Police allege he was also disqualified from driving. I also saw another tweet that alleges that he was jailed 12 years ago for accessory to murder. But when I had a look at this a bit closer, that was actually a charge of being an accessory after the fact to manslaughter in which he and an associate associate was engaged in illegal drug dealing and something went wrong. There was a fight and somebody got shot dead. Now he did get a couple of years for that, but he'd been on remand for 13 months. So the judge, when he came up to trial for that, let him serve the rest of his non-parole term in periodic detention. So on Friday morning, this scum, Rabbi Abdul Rahman, I think it's Rabbi or Rabbi, was serving a suspended jail sentence for driving under the influence of drugs and assaulting police obviously disqualified from driving, yet he chose 
to drive and drive recklessly for fuck's sake, running a red light, and which to me is one of the most selfish and stupid things anyone can do on the road. This Abdul Rahman was arrested at the scene. Now he was seen when he got out of the car. The, this kid is under the car. All these people are racing to try and save this kid. And he's just standing around the car smoking a cigarette. Anyway, he was arrested at the scene, so at least he didn't hit and run. He was taken for mandatory drug testing. Abdul Rahman was charged with manslaughter, dangerous driving occasioning death, driving while disqualified, and other traffic offences. He was refused bail to appear at Parramatta Bail Court on September the 7th. So that would have been Saturday. So if they just locked this dickhead up rather than give him a suspended sentence, Ryan Wang would most probably be still with us today. You would think that Abdul Rahman would be a bit more careful after getting let off so easily. But some people are just scum and laugh at the lame sentences they get. Well, I hope they lock this dick up for a long, long time. This type of scum just need to be locked up forever. They never learn or they just obviously just don't give a shit. As soon as they're out, they re-offend. They're just sticking their finger up to society and the justice system. And it's that justice system that treats them so lightly. How Ryan's parents must be suffering. Their little boy goes off to school and never returns. I'd like like to just thank Benedict Brook and Ali Foster from news.com.au and as I said before, Emma Partridge, Senior Crime Editor for uh, Nine News in Sydney, for those news reports. Now, this other case I've got here, this is from Sarah McPhee of news.com.au and AAP. Now, I read that last week and, and it, it involves an issue that's, quite worldwide, and that's the topic of human trafficking. Now, this case, it's it's not a high-profile Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell or Jimmy Savile level of human trafficking. This is the really hidden, in-your-backyard type of human trafficking. Now, not that mainstream media really go after the Epsteins, the Maxwells and the Savills of these worlds. Those types of high-level pedophile rings seem to be pretty protected, whereas the really hidden side of human trafficking could be operating next door or somewhere close to where you live. This news item was about 57-year-old Rung Nafa Kanbut, a dual Thai and Australian national who kept at least two Thai women as virtual sex slaves working for a fake $45,000 debt. Now, these two Thai women were purchased by Can Butt for 45000 apparently, and they were forced to have sex with up to 10 clients a day to pay off this debt. In reality, the two women had their passports taken by Can Butt and forced to work for 12-hour days, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., but often until 8 a.m. the following morning. They were spat on and physically abused by the clients, and when they told Cambut, she just told them to put up with it. Now, she faced six charges, including intentionally possessing a slave 
and dealing with the proceeds of crime. So these women, they arrived on tourist visas, then Cambot took their passports. Cambot told the women, who could not speak English, that there was no point in running away because you can't really run away anyway. When the women had their period, they were told to use sponges and keep working. They had no time off. They were forced to work every day for a period of nine months and survived only on the 5 or $10 tips they got from customers. Now, at least one of the women, well, she did offer sex work when she was in Thailand, but when she was there, and there's nothing wrong with sex work, but when she was there, it was on her terms, and she worked when she wanted with whoever she wanted. It was her choice. So when she was lured down to Sydney with the uh, offers of big money, she didn't expect to be sent around Sydney to work in several brothels and physically and mentally abused. These women, they had no support system in place, terrified they had nowhere to run. Now one of the women, and only one, did front up at court. She said she suffers extremely debilitating pain and is incapacitated for at least one week during each month as a result. She said she's crippled over. Whilst under debt to rung, I was made to have up to 10 customers a day. I feel psychologically hurt. She also said, I feel my heart is broken about being deceived. I vividly remember the pain I was in as a result. Now, the judge said, while the two women weren't physically locked up, they were effectively in a prison without bars. Now, the four slavery offences each carry a maximum term of 25 years in jail, while the money laundering offences carry a maximum of 10 years. Now, Cambart is due to be sentenced on November 15. Now, these uh, these offences did happen quite a while ago, and they've only just come to court. So it'll be interesting to see what goes on here. So as you can see, human trafficking, it's everywhere. I said before about the Savills, the Epsteins, and the Maxwells of this world. They might hit mainstream media for a while, then the next news item of the day takes over or whatever, But this type of low-level human trafficking goes on virtually hidden and rarely makes the news. And do you really think that there was only two women involved here and it wasn't just to get women on tourist visas, get them over for a few months and keep swapping them out over years and years and years? Well, let's hope there is some justice for these two women and this Cambit woman is not only jailed, but she's stripped of her Australian citizenship and deported. Now, the next thing I want to go over tonight, and this is, I spoke about it a few weeks ago, the actual release of Michael Guider, the killer of Samantha Knight. Well, he's finally been released, and there are a lot of people out there not happy, especially those who are now his neighbours. For those that may be unfamiliar, Guider is a pedo that preyed upon children over many years. He would look for vulnerable single mums, gain their trust. Once he had their trust, the parents would often let him babysit or take the kids out on excursions. He would tell the mothers that, go out and have a break from the children. He would often bring them gifts, 
Being a photographer and having access to what you'd call sleeping pills like Normison, he would drug the kids, photograph their genitals and sexually abuse them. Sometimes it was not only those girls from the mothers, but also any friends that were visiting. He would mix the Normison in with Coca-Cola so they couldn't taste it. From what I can see, he started his predatory actions from around January 1980 up until 1996. His victims ranged from 2 years old to 16 years old. They were mostly female, but there were some males. He eventually got busted on the 12th of September 96. He pleaded guilty to some 60 counts involving sexual offences in relation to in relation to nine young girls and two young boys, extending over a period of approximately 15 years, between January 1980 and uh, 1996. Look, I'll just read out some of these things. 18 counts of indecent assault, one count of aggravated indecent assault, 16 counts of administer a stupefying drug, that was the Normison, 15 counts of sexual intercourse without consent, comprising acts of penile penetration, penetration with a finger and with objects, and oral intercourse. One count of aggravated act of indecency with a child under the age of 16 years. Six counts of indecency with a child under the age of 10 years. Two counts of indecency and one count of common assault. An offensive possession of child pornography was also taken into account. For that, he'd get 16 years with only 10 years fixed. He would then get busted for further offences and pleaded guilty to eight counts relating to two underage girls. Now, this happened at around the same time, but he wasn't busted for it when he first went to court. Now, in summary, this involved three counts of indecent assault and five counts of sexual intercourse with a victim under the age of 16 years. Now, as I said, this, this happened when those other offences happened that he went to court for. So, because he was already serving a term for his previous offences, the judge said there was little point in increasing his original sentence. So 15 years later, that, that's crazy, isn't it? You think they'd just tax him more on as an excuse just to keep him inside a bit longer. Anyway, 15 years later, he would then be a suspect in the disappearance of Samantha Knight, who went missing on the afternoon of the 19th of August, 1986. He would not be convicted for a murder, but rather he got manslaughter. Guider would be sentenced to 17 years to date from June 2002 and to expire on the 6th of June 2019, which has just passed. There was a non-parole period of 12 years. Now... As we know, he's never revealed the location of Samantha's body. He served his sentence now and he's out of prison. According to Candace Sutton of news.com.au, Guider is staying at a halfway house for pedos for $10 a day bed and board. It's the Nanyara Community Offender Support Program, COSP. It's a house there at Malabar and I don't think you're going to find it listed on Airbnb but it is within walking distance of two childcare centres, a kindergarten, a primary school, and a community centre which holds programs for children aged 2 to 16 years. Michael Guider's parole conditions only require him to be inside the COSP between 10pm and 6am, leaving him a potential 16 hours outside its walls. Now, resident Lerin told news.com.au 
Are they serious? He's in his element here. It's putting everything on a silver platter for him. There's kids galore all around here. There's parks, sports ovals, all in a radius around where he's living and going down to La Perouse. Kids packed in on a weekends, playing and having picnics. Are you kidding me? It's teasing a pedophile to do something. All right. Sorry, Laren, if that's not what you sound like, but <laughs> I had to just make it sound a little bit different. Anyway, his conditions include not approaching without prior approval, preschools, schools, playgrounds, parks, sports facilities, internet cafes and houses where he knows persons under 18 years will be. I mean, yeah, he must take an anti-libidinal chemical castration drug He shouldn't drink alcohol and not change his appearance without approval and an updated photo for his file. He will also have an ankle bracelet with GPS to track his movements. Okay, so what if he doesn't follow these conditions? What if he decides to play it cool for a while? He's a master manipulator and then stop taking his meds or cut off his ankle bracelet and go take a kid. Now, down at these... uh, community centres that they put these pedos in, all of them that have been opened over the years, they've all been shut down. And in this one, they've had rapists just cut the bloody thing off with a knife that they shouldn't have and they've just gone out and attacked people. So what if he doesn't follow these conditions? He's 69 years old now. He's still fit enough to re-offend but too old to serve any decent sentence it might likely get Maybe you'll just so think, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. My opinion is anyway, no body, no getting out. Let him rot in jail till he gives Samantha's family some closure. At least let them bring her home. Just makes you sick, doesn't it? Okay, anyway, last story for tonight. And it's a bit more uplifting. And it may or may not have something to do with true crime. It was originally from Will Stewart of the Sun newspaper, although you'll just see it syndicated just about everywhere. A little girl whose dad lost her on a train 20 years ago is finally reunited with her parents after a random family raised her. And no, I'm not talking about the McCarns. Yulia Gorina, 24, mer- mer- mysteriously vanished in 1999 from a train travelling between Minsk and Asipochvisi, that's in Belarus, by the way, as her dad, Victor Moisenko, slept. Now, she turns up three weeks later, 550 miles or 880 kilometres away in Ryazan in Russia on a railway siding. Now, the police over in, in Russia, they try to find her parents. They can't. In the end, a local family adopts her. While Victor and Lydamila Moisenko, Yulia's parents, they told how they had hunted for their missing daughter for weeks. I really should. I really did try to pronounce all of these names, but there's just too many of them. I really, I'm just going to plow on through. Anyway, Victor and Lydamila Moisenko, that's Yulia's parents, They've been looking for it for weeks and weeks and weeks, months, a long time. Her mum said 
For days, we were searching ourselves, taking every train from Minsk to Asipovitsi and back, asking passengers if they'd seen Yulia. They were checking wells, shops, deserted houses. They just checked everything and everywhere. She said it was impossibly painful to live all these years with the heartache of not knowing what happened to our daughter. It was beyond awful. We eventually moved house. We couldn't stay in the house where just days ago she was laughing and playing. We couldn't walk the same roads and hated to be anywhere near the railway. We both hated seeing trains. In the end, we moved house because we couldn't stay there in the same place by that railway. So you can imagine that. Dad's on the train. The kid runs off. Maybe just walked off onto another platform and onto another train. Who knows? But he's woken up. No daughter. He's trying to find her. Has to break the news to mum. They're just going crazy, going up and down and trains on the same tracks. Just can't get anywhere. Anyway, as Julia grew up, she sort of knew what had happened when she was a little kid. And she started searching for her parents online. But she didn't get anywhere until her boyfriend, Ilya, found some details of a girl lost in Belarus shortly before Yulia was found in Russia. So she read that article her boyfriend got. She said, I began to read and realised that so many facts were the same. So my tears were running. The good news is they've all reunited. They've all met up and it's just a happy thing. It took 20 years but they've finally found each other. So that's a good story to end on here. And uh, you got to think, was Yulia snatched by kidnappers that then dumped her in Russia for some reason? Maybe got some heat on them and they just sort of had to leave her at the railway uh, siding? Did she just get on another train and, and wander up and down and no one noticed and she just got off the train? I have no idea. She does remember, though, travelling on the train with another couple, so who knows. But it's a very sad story with a very happy ending for all. It would be good if all missing children's stories ended up like this one. Sadly, it's not the case. So, Islanders, that was a short little episode this week. Like I said, I sort of got half caught in research in another case, which I'm going to keep for next month. So that's the end of the show. But, as always... Before we get into the shout-outs, keep October 19 aside if you will be in Melbourne. I'm going to visit my lovely mates Barney and Tara from Bloody Murder and we're going to record True Crime Island third birthday episode together. And the case is one that was sent to me by Craig Frost and I won't say what it's about but it will be very interesting. Now I'll be flying in early and after recording I think we may all end up somewhere in Brunswick having a few beers. Now, if you're a listener and want to join us, then we'll have more details soon. But if you're a podcaster and want to meet some of your listeners, get involved. Let Tara or myself know so we can include you on the promos. I started to upload some of the episodes also to YouTube for just to get a few more people. But this initial stages, no fancy video or the camera on me or anything. And uh, I've got the Samantha Knight case up there also. And the three... Uh, Lorraine Wilson and Wendy Evans episodes. I've basically chopped a bit bit off those and put all those together so it makes a bit of sense as one episode. So please subscribe to the channel. We've got quite a f- not quite a few, but a few people have gone on there so far. Uh, once we get a m- few more subs, I might lo- look at doing a few special video segments or so. We'll see what happens. 
So now to the Patreon shout-outs. My voice is just about to go. A big shout-out to Christine Runnigan, who upped her pledge during the week. So thanks so much, Christine. And to Joyce Ferris, thank you so much. LJ also upped her pledge as well. Boom, fuck Everybody, thank you so much for your support. Thanks so much to all the present. And, of course, past Patreon supporters of the island. Really does make a difference, as you know. True Crime Island is a totally listener-supported podcast. I keep ad-free, as you know. I don't like ads, neither you do. If you want to support the island financially for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island. Check out the levels and rewards. If Tyler is listening, I sent you an email about which mug award you would like. So please get back to me on that. Maybe I don't know, check your spam folder or check your email is correct in Patreon. Now you can do one-off donation to paypal.me forward slash true crime island. As Christina did two weeks ago. Hi, Christina again. Third week in a row. Also, you can support the island by getting hold of some merch, such as T-shirts, all that sort of stuff. That's it, truecrimeisland.threadless.com. All these links are on my website, except for the PayPal one, I think. But uh, remember, listeners, don't order black mugs until further notice. I do have keychains, lapel pins, and stickers. They're with me sitting right next to me now. You need to contact me directly for those. This can be done by emailing me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com, and that's also the best way to contact me personally for anything else, such as case requests, or just to say boom fuckalunga. Now, I have got a few case requests over the last few weeks. Now, I'm looking into all of them. Some of them are on the list already, and I'm researching already. Sometimes, if there's not much information, it does take it, make it a lot harder to actually find enough for a show. So, you never know, I might just be able to put some of these together and make one show. Anyway, this week we do have a promo. Before we get into that, you don't have to spend money to support the island. You can also rate and review and tell your friends, family and workmates about the island. And if they don't know how to tune in, show them. Because it's not just not my show. There's plenty of true crime shows. Shows about everything out there. Search for True Crime Island on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And join the closed group on Facebook. Now... There are other shows out there. I've got a promo this week. This week we've got a promo for Just the Tipsters. Melissa Morgan hosts the raucous, often funny, always compelling adventure into murders and mysteries and other weirdness she finds fascinating. Looking into solved and unsolved homicide cases and looking for tips from anywhere. Watch out for the tip from anyone or on anything. So listen to the promo at the end of the show. Shout out to Curtis in Melbourne. Boom, fuck along, mate. So that's about it for the show tonight. Lots of love to Maggie James. And I'm your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Born Fagalanga.
Hello, tipsters. This is Melissa Morgan, the host of Just the Tipsters, America's favorite true crime podcast, because people are awful and kill each other. Hi, tipsters. This is Melissa Morgan, host of Just the Tipsters, America's favorite true crime podcast. Have you ever wanted to kill someone? Hey, oh, tipsters. This is Melissa Morgan, host of America's favorite true crime podcast, Just the Tipsters. And what makes Just the Tipsters America's favorite true crime podcast? It's because I said so. That's why. That's okay, right? I can say that. I mean, guard! Just the Tipsters with Melissa Morgan is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Stitcher, the Radio.com app, and wherever pods are cast. Subscribe, rate, review. You'll be glad you did. <laughs>